Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Jeff Mears. If you know me, would you just raise your hand so I know if there's friends in the crowd today? Okay, cool. So I love our church. I love our pastors. There's someone else here today I love that I just want. I'm not going to make you stand up, but my wife, Christy. We love Christy. She's amazing. 16-year-old daughter, Hannah, right there. Judah, 14. And these kids, um, they're growing up in God. They're serving him, growing up in the house of the Lord. It's amazing. And people are pointing, telling me to release middle school. If you're in middle school, you can take off. You're going to miss out on a great message. Well, we took a, um, we took a trip this summer. We drove down to Tijuana and waited in the airport for nine hours and then flew down to Guadalajara. And that was our home base for our summer road trips. And we took a trip to Chacala and camped on the beach with one trillion mosquitoes that were heat resistant um, because it was 120 degrees. Um, I'm probably exaggerating, but it felt like it. I think Hannah counted 68 mosquito bites. It was brutal, but it was fun. And then we came back to Guadalajara, we piled into the car, and we took another road trip um, to a little village, probably the poorest village that I've ever um, experienced in my life, named Agua Caliente, not the city, but this a tiny village of, of a few hundred people. And um, we went and we took, we took um, about 500 sandwiches up there. We prepared some food baskets that would last for about a week. And the reason this trip was so meaningful to me is that my dad... Excuse me. My dad had um, been in ministry his whole life since he got saved at age 36 and uh, started a church. And I grew up in that church, just like my kids are growing up in church today. And um, a few years ago, he had a stroke and had to step away from all of that. And he went down to Guadalajara. And as part of his recovery, he discovered this village and began to just pour out his life. And as he recovered physically, um, he was pouring out his love for this village and started working on education, health care, uh, breaking the cycle of poverty, and bringing hope. And it was so meaningful to him. And every time he would come, he would talk about this village. What's he going to say? Pregnant pause, anticipation. I just needed a drink. Um, and so we went to this village, and when we pulled up, kids came running from everywhere, from down, way down by the water, and they're yelling, Henry, Henry, because we were driving the same car that he would take. And uh, they would chant his name when he'd come into the village. It was so cool. Um, but because of recent health issues, right before we took this trip, about two months before, my dad had to move away from Guadalajara and come be up in the States permanently and step away from this ministry. And so it was just a very meaningful and emotional time for us. And so we went. And uh, started playing soccer with these kids. Universal love language is football, right? Soccer. And so we bust out the one soccer ball in the village, and we're playing with them. And I introduced myself as Jeff. But as we play, um, eventually, one of the kids yells at me when I have the ball, and they say, they can't remember my name. And they say, Henry, my dad's name. And so I pass it to them. And then about a minute later, I've got the ball again because I'm pretty good when I'm playing against, you know, uh, eight-year-old kids who live in poverty. I'm, I'm great. Um, and so they were calling for the ball. 
Henry, and they all start calling me Henry, and it was, it was really cool. The ball went over the edge. I had to chase down um, after it. These kids were mocking me in Spanish. I can't speak enough to know what they were saying, but I could tell they were mocking me, and I went down to get the ball, and I heard, and there's this giant pig, like, right next to my head. It was just a cool, it was a cool experience. Um, so we're going to come back to that story later, uh, but that was part of our summer road trip, and then we've been on as a church, we've been on a road trip together, right? We've followed the life of Jesus through Mark. Mark 1, 2, 3, now we're on chapter 14. And it's been pretty cool. It's coming to an end. We've got two more chapters left. Um, and so today we're in Mark chapter 14. And I want us to read that. If you can put it up on the screen, we're going to read chapter 14 together. And then we're going to just start to break it down a bit. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignant to one another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as, as we look at your word today, we ask that you would teach us, that you would inspire us, that you would direct us towards you, that you would touch hearts and lives, that these wouldn't just be words that are spoken, words that are written, but Lord, they would be things that get into our hearts and, and change our lives and our trajectory and those around us. Speak to us to God today, God, in the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. amen. How many of you, before you take a road trip, you clean your house? It's the weirdest thing. I still don't understand it, but Christy is determined if we're going to leave, the house has to be perfect. Well, last year, um, we went to um, Disneyland for a few days for Vision and Values weekend with our kids. It was really cool. We'll tell you more about that another day. But when we left, we decided to leave our dog at home. <coughs> and uh, we had the neighbor who we're really trying to impress. We're kind of new to the neighborhood. They're very cool neighbors. We've had like a fair amount of drama since we moved in. Someone stole our pool heater and like just weird stuff. And so we're, we're like on our best behavior. Are you ever, you have people like that in life that you're like, I know if one more weird thing happens, they're done, right? And so we get the house totally clean. We invite them. They're going to come over three or four times a day, check on our dog, let the dog out, let Lucy out to go pee in the backyard or do her thing. And then let her back in, and everything's going to be perfect. So we're texting them during the trip. Everything's going great. They don't say anything. Um, now, something that happened right before we left, we had a meal. Um, and I can promise you it wasn't me because cooked broccoli is probably the worst thing on earth. I hate cooked broccoli. I promise, Kaylee's looking at me weird. I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. So we apparently had cooked broccoli before we left for this trip, and someone, I have no idea who, someone threw the cooked broccoli in the garbage can before we left. Now, there are few things in this world that smell worse than three-day-old cooked broccoli. We came home, 
And we opened the door, and it was like a wall of scent knocked us back from the door. And we come in, when I say we, I mean me. Everyone else stood outside, and Dad went in. And I don't know if you've ever, if you remember the scene from E.T. when you were a kid, and they're like, everybody's got respirators on and the white suits, and they're going, that was me going into the house, like just trying to get in there. Broccoli's part of the curse already, and here I am, like three-day-old broccoli. I can't imagine anything worse. So I'm going in to get it. And then it hits us that our neighbors for three days thought that our house just reeks. Um, They still talk to us. We're still friends. How many know that smell has the power to repel? Right? The wrong wrong scent, the wrong smell, it's powerful. It has the power to repel. And I'm supposed to preach today about fragrance and scent, and it's just a little weird. I want you to know that. Um, Fragrance also has the power to attract right? 17-year-old Jeff Mears, junior in high school, girlfriend wearing fire and ice, vanilla and musk like all together, will tell you that scent has the power to attract and get you under a spell. Nobody else had a girlfriend that wore fire and ice, okay? Some of you are remembering your eternity days or your cool waters. Um, Scent. So as I looked at this message this weekend. I tried to title it. I don't even know if we put the title anywhere, but something in me says we have to have a title for the message. And I started, you know, with mature Jeff trying to say, you know, what are we, we're going to talk about, you know, the, the fragrance of this woman's sacrifice for Jesus. And so I titled the message, The Fragrance of Our Lives. And, um, and my kids mocked me for that. And then I remembered, you know, those old commercials, the touch the feeling, Aaron Neville with the, the fabric of our lives. You remember that, right? I'm like, oh, I can't have the fragrance of our lives. Like, it's, it's, it's not going to work. And so then the other option I had was, you smell me, bro? And my kids were like, no, Dad, if you do that, I'm never going to church again at Canvas. You cannot. So the title of today's message is, you smell me, bro? All right, so let's set the stage. I think the context for this story is super, super important. Um, Jesus, we're in the last week, the Holy Week, the week before Jesus goes to the cross. And last week, uh, Joey preached, second service, and talked about Jesus coming in as a different kind of a king and coming in on a donkey. And we're coming up in the last days before the cross and the once and for all offering. And now Jesus is here at the leper's house. He's at a leper's house, <clears throat> and a leper in, in Jewish society in Israel was someone who was very, very marginalized. They were unclean. Uh, there were rules and restrictions around someone who was a leper. Now, we don't know if Simon was a leper or if he had previously been a leper and Jesus had perhaps healed him. We don't, we don't have that kind of t- context, but what we do know is he's in the house of a leper, someone who society would say, Stay back, stay away, marginalize. And the first point I want to talk about this morning is that Jesus shows up to unexpected people in unexpected places. He shows up to unexpected people in unexpected places. And then he's here and he's being anointed as king and being anointed before his burial. And it's not done by a priest. It's done by this woman. Now today... Women are not 
let's hope, marginalized and treated in the same way that they were in that culture then. But in that day, in Jewish culture, a woman was not seen as an equal with a man. And a woman would have been also kind of a, a, a marginalized group on the edges. So here Jesus comes in as the king. He's about to be sacrificed as the once and for all offering. And he comes to a leper's house and he's anointed by a woman. He doesn't go to a palace. He's not anointed by a king. He goes to a leper's house and he's anointed by a woman. Now the reason I bring this up today is because here we are in Mira Mesa off the 15 in the biggest building theater I've ever seen in life. And in this room last night, like Baby Driver was playing or, or who knows what was playing. Here we are in this unexpected place. And today, maybe you're an unexpected person and God wants to say to you, hey, right now I'm speaking to you. I can speak to you in this place this morning. Maybe you got up this morning, you just routine. I go to church on Sundays. It's what I do. And you're just here out of routine. Maybe you're here this morning because you're, it's your first time back in church after weeks or months or years and God's calling you. God shows up to unexpected people in unexpected places, and he's here today and wants to show up to you. Let's go back to the passage. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar, and she poured the perfume over his head. So I did a little studying because nard is just such a weird word. I needed to understand what this is. And so if you dive into it, nard can be spiked nard. And Chrissy said, that's even a weirder word. And then you can get into uh, uh, muskroot is another name for it. So if, if nard bothers you, just call it muskroot. Um, it came from China or India. And it was an essential oil. How many essential oil folks we have in the room? Okay, I just need to know how many minefields I got to dance around as I mock essential oils. Um, so my wife has an essential oil diffuser. Lavender, you walk into our house and it's just, it just reeks. It smells of lavender. It's beautiful. And the health benefits, oh my gosh. Um, it's powerful stuff, right? Lavender, mint, what, who, what are some other scents? Lemon oil, right? So we had it, when I was growing up, my mom used essential oil. She was way ahead of her time. Um, it was the VapoRub scent. You remember that? Right, so if I was sick, if I was sick, we'd, she put that on the diffuser right here and a little right there, and it was beautiful. It was poor man's essential oil. Um, and I will, I will get into essential oils once we have a bacon essential oil, right? If I could have a diffuser with bacon essential oil, imagine the health benefits of that, right? My, my wife has a cousin who swears I, I'm, if, if you sell essential oils, just look at this as like, there's no such thing as bad publicity, okay? So her husband would snore every night and keep her awake. But now, one drop of lavender essential oil on the big toe, not a different toe and not two drops, okay? And he doesn't snore anymore. It's <coughs> placebo. It's amazing. It's amazing. So this last Christmas, we had um, 18 people at our house. We had 18, we had all of my immediate family at our house. And um, it, was, it was phenomenal, and it was a very full house. And so we really don't have room for that many people. It kind of happened last minute. And so we took all six boys who are kids, all the cousins, 
And Christy and I have this little room right above, um, right inside of our room, there's like a little door, and it goes into like this little miniature room. Does anyone else have something like that? It's a little weird. It's a little creepy. Um, and so we crammed these boys all into that room, but we sold it like, oh, it's like a fort. It's like your own place. Like, how cool is that? So literally that room was full, wall to wall of six sleeping bags. There was no room to step without stepping on an arm or a leg or, you know, some middle school boy. And speaking of smell, we're not going to get into that, but that room had been taken over by these boys. And I remember um, on the first Saturday that everyone was here, my dad got up early. And these kids would sleep. They were on Christmas break. They would sleep till 9, 10, 11, 12. Like at some point, I'm in there shaking them, waking them up. Well, about 8 o'clock on Saturday morning, my dad gets up and he starts making a big southern breakfast, which is what he does. He's from South Carolina. Yeah, grits and biscuits and gravy and, oh, man, right? Some pork chops. And he, uh, he pulled out the bacon, started putting bacon on the grill. And the scent just began to fill the house, right? It just, it just filled the whole house. I'm laying there in bed, awake, probably praying or something. It was 8 o'clock, um, just being spiritual, you know. And... And all of a sudden, the little door opens, and out some kid, eyes still closed, sleeping bag like half on their leg, just comes through the room like the Walking Dead, Pastor Ben, just coming through, and they just go through. And one by one, over the next few minutes, these six boys, just one by one, like start, like they're just drawn towards the smell of bacon. They're not even awake yet, and they go down. And then the seventh, right, I got up and I go down. And, and no one wants to, like, no one wants to disclose that the reason they're there is, is for the bacon. You know, it's like, hey, Grandpa, good morning, good to see you. Everyone's, like, all around the kitchen trying to, like, snitch some bacon when you can. Uh, but my mom defends the bacon, so she's there with a fork. Like, so you just got to wait. For, you got to wait for it, but you smell it, right? So the author, uh, John, in John's gospel, he tells this same story. He talks about this, but in his account, he says, the house was filled with the fragrance. And I want to know how John knew that the house was filled with the fragrance. So was John like in a back room somewhere having a conversation with James and talking about who's going to sit closest to Jesus, right? And then all of a sudden, what is that? And they come out and they walk and they're drawn to go be with Jesus. And be in the room with him and see what's happening. Or was maybe he was in the room with the disciples there watching this woman as she breaks this valuable one year salary worth of essential oil. That's a lot of essential oil, right? Not as much as you would think, though. And she breaks that and pours it on him in that scent. Maybe he's in the room and then he sees, like I did, one by one, people coming from, what is that? And here they are at the feet of Jesus. When we give our all, when we give our best to Jesus, others are drawn to him. When we give our all, when we give our best to others, to Jesus, others are just drawn, just naturally, the scent of it, the fragrance of it, just, just draws people to be in the same room with him, to see him being anointed as king. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Last week, um, Christy gave me a kiss, and 
usually I don't describe that by like weeks. Like I promise we kiss more often than once a week. It was our weekly kiss. Last week, Christy gave me a kiss on the lips. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Um, and she made this expression. And I've never seen her make this expression when we've kissed before. And we have kissed many, 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 many times. Many times. And her face kind of crinkles up like, and I'm like, what? Like, am I, am I somehow repulsive to you now? Like, what happened? What changed? And she says, your beard reeks. <laughs> and I'm like, what? How can my, my beard, I've had a beard forever. My beard has never reeked. I don't know, but I'm not kissing you. Your beard stinks. <laughs> Here's the deal. The people who are closest to you can smell your fragrance better than anyone else. So when we're living our lives and we're pouring ourselves out for Jesus and there's this, this fragrance, this thing that's drawing people to him, you might, I might be able to fake it for those of you up on the top row. You might be like, mm, that guy loves Jesus. But you know what? Those who are closest to you, those who are right here that are intimate, that can smell your beard and they know that you put volcanic ash on your face the day before because you're looking old and you're trying to figure out how to get all that dead sunburned skin off and you left some in the beard and you didn't wash it, they know because they're right there. <laughs> when Christy and I took that trip last year and we went on that Vision and Values weekend, we wanted to have a set of values for our family that could be even passed on to a next generation. And we could have just done that on our own and said, you know what? Kids, here's your values. Boom, 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 boom. But instead, and because my day job is as a creative, I bring post-it notes and Sharpies everywhere, and I help people figure out, like, vision and new products and design and that kind of stuff, I thought, let's do this with our kids. And so we went away, and, and we spent probably 20, 30 minutes and had our kids just write down all the things that they value. And then we began to stick those up um, on, this, on the window of the hotel, and as my kids began to put those up, Christy and I were secretly and silently just weeping. It was one of the most beautiful moments of our entire life because we had not written out our core values as a life, in, in our life, but our nine-year-old would walk up and say, learning more about Jesus and being close to him. Boom. Right? Another child will walk up and say, being in community in a local church and building the local church, right? And then another would say, you know, being on adventures together and enjoying the journey. And another would put up, always be learning and always be growing in our walk with God. And as these kids began to put up the things that we would have prescribed as their values, they were already inside of them as values. You know why? Because that was the fragrance. The people, the very closest to us had somehow caught on to the fragrance of our lives and what it was that we're all about. We didn't have to say it. They could smell it. They were drawn to it. You smell me? Okay. Here's a fun point. When we give our all to Jesus, people will judge us. Isn't that awesome? Mark 14, verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. This was the Jesus juke that Ben talked about last week, right? 
Like here she is giving everything to Jesus, and they're like, oh, it could have been sold and given to the poor. She's not holy like we are. Then Jesus, well, we'll come back to that. It wasn't the oil that was the problem for them. It wasn't her anointing him. In, in that culture, in that day, when people would walk through the front door, a guest would come into a house. It was customary to put just a dab of oil on them. We're not talking about something like that. I love you, Judah. Um, but it was customary to put just a, just a dab of oil on their head. The disciples were not offended about the oil. They were offended by the excess, by the waste, by the over-the-top. It's too much. Why, why, would you, why would you waste this? Why would you do so much? Why would you give so much, you know, when you worship? Why, why isn't this enough? Whatever, right? Like, why are you, you over-the-top too much? I remember when five years ago, our marriage was on, like, about to be over. I was an idiot. I had done stupid stuff, and I needed God to rewire my brain and touch my heart, and he was in the middle of doing that, and it was, we were in the middle of a beautiful journey, and I remember just a few days into that, I called Christy. She was in Portland. I was here in San Diego, and she said, I was just out on a run, and God spoke to me and said, none of this will be wasted. None of it will be wasted, and we didn't even know completely what that meant at the moment, and we went through the darkest season of our lives as individuals, as a couple, as a family. It was dark. It was hard. It was difficult. At moments, we didn't know if we would get out. And some people looked and watched, and they said, not worth it. Walk away. Christy, just, just walk away. Just walk away. And there was something in her. Now, albeit every finish line is different, every story is different, every journey is different. In our story, people were watching and judging and saying, Christy, that's too much. That's too much. Don't waste it on that guy. Don't waste it. It's too much. And you know what? I would say every week, if not more, someone reaches out to Christy or to myself or to us as a couple that's broken and in a dark place. They don't know who they could possibly turn to, but they know of this couple that was in the depths of of the darkness and despair and shouldn't have made it, and they know that they did. And so all the pain that was walked through, all the hurt, all the heartache, all the asking why, none of it wasted. Marriages, finding hope because of the sacrifice that was painful. It wasn't wasted. People might have watched and said, no, why? Don't. You don't need to. You can walk away, start over, make it clean, do it again not wasted. If we live our lives based on people judging us, those who would judge, those who would look at us with indignation like these men did, we would be, you would lose yourself in the process. You get so locked up. Some of these people will judge you whether you turn to the left or the right. doesn't matter. We saw it in, in Houston this week with Joel Osteen. I don't want to get into a whole like point by point whatever, but people are so quick to judge. And talk about things they know nothing about as they were doing in this story. They were actually showing how dull they were that they didn't realize he was being anointed for burial. So for us, one, let's be careful not to be those that look at someone else's sacrifice, someone else's offering with indignation and say, come on, come on, don't do it that way. That's not right. That's a waste. Why don't you, why don't you worship him more like me? People will judge but God is our defender. 
but God is our defender. I love this Jesus. In verse 7, he says, leave her alone with all of the authority. It's the same voice, the same God who spoke the heavens and earth into existence, stands up and defends her and says, hey, back off. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. He says, you see waste? I see beauty. He says, you see excess? I see a woman who's doing what she can for me. He didn't commend her for being perfect. This isn't meant to be some law or, or legalism or performance, moralism that now all of us in the room have to put on our shoulders and say, hey, if you're not giving God worth something more than one time your annual salary, you don't measure up. It wasn't about that. He said she did what she could. She took what she had. She took who she was, and she gave it to Jesus. And this last point, it's all about Jesus. So this is like a pivotal moment in this message and in this story. It would be easy to walk away and say, hey, get the fragrance of your life right. What are you doing for him? What are you sacrificing? But then Jesus puts this little turn in the end of this verse that, to be honest, for years frustrated me. I didn't understand it until I understood the context. I, okay, to be really honest, Pastor Ben, I was actually offended by part of this verse. When he says, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. Wait, this is the same Jesus? Of the Beatitudes that said, blessed be the poor? What? This is the same God who in Isaiah said, hey, you want revival? Start taking care of the poor, the widow, the orphan. Quit your fasting and your praying. I want to see you take care of the poor. It's the same Jesus is saying, hey, the poor you've got with you always. Look at me. To be honest, I, I don't know about you, but I've struggled with that verse before. I never really understood it. It was one of those things that I just kind of, just kept going past and thought, ah, guess I don't understand it. Um, it seemed like a contradiction. Even the verse that Jesus alludes to here, Deuteronomy 15, 11, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needing your land. It even seems like he's contradicting that. But then I dove into the context of this passage and realized We've been on this road trip, right? And we followed the life of Jesus all the way through the book of Mark. And through the whole life of Jesus, here we are just a few days before the cross. Just a few days before the cross. And he's saying, hey, three years of ministry, a lifetime. He knows these guys. He's been here. And he's just saying, hey, 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 just for a minute. Recognize the magnitude of what's about to happen, the once and for all offering of Jesus on the cross. Yes, take care of the poor. Yes, love your kids. Yes, adore your wife. Yes, work hard. Yes, do right. Yes, do good. But at the end of the day, right now in this moment, I'm about to go to the cross, and this is what it's all about. Then we go up to 30,000 feet, and we get outside of the book of Mark, and we go Genesis to Revelation, and we realize from the very creation of the earth, everything in Genesis is pointing forwards towards the cross, and everything all the way through Revelation is pointing back 
to the cross. It was all about that moment. He's saying, that's days from now. Right now, wake up. This is what it's all about. It's not about what you do. It's not about your works. It's not about your performance. It's not about how much you can carry on your shoulders. It's about the once and for all offering that paid the price that you can't pay. That's 30,000. Then we go to 100,000 feet. My math starts to break down. I don't even know if you can fly at that level. I don't know if we have any pilots here. Let's go to a million feet. I don't care. Pre-Genesis 1. Right? The one who was, who is, who is to come. The Alpha and Omega. One who's eternal. It's part of his very nature, part of his character. He's eternal. He always has been, always will be. The one who spoke the earth into existence. You know that Scientists, as you get into like, oh man, I got like five minutes. As, as, we get in, as we get into quantum physics and string theory and get down to like quarks and plank length and all that craziness, you get into something as solid as this, it's all moving. What? Just, just look it up, I promise. They don't know what holds it all together. It's vibrating. Even the most solid of solids, a rock, granite, it's vibrating. In the, in the smallest things that we can observe. Colossians 1.16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Here's this God who is outside of space and time. He creates a universe, creates an earth, creates us. The, only, the best way I can imagine it is a God who, he, imagine him just holding it as a box in his hands. He's outside of it. Yet he chose for us to step into space and time, to step into the box, to step into a leper's house, to step into Canvas Church and a theater right here to say, hey, it's about me. I'm going to give a once and for all offering for you that you could know the creator of the universe. Hmm. I was going to tell a story. I'm out of time, and I don't want Pastor Ben to have to tackle me in, in a minute. Um, so we'll skip that story, but, but just imagine your own story. And the moral of that story was, <laughs> sometimes in life, we chase after things, and they are not what we thought they were right? Man, that can be a career. When your career is, is your hope, it's your all, it's your everything, it's your north star, it's everything you're going after. When that's the case, when the economy crashes, you lose your job, you don't get the promotion, you fail the bar exam the third time, what do you do? Where do you look? When your marriage is faced with infidelity or death or the storms that come in life, they do. And we have very little control over them many times. What do you do? When helping the poor in a little village in Mexico is like, if that's your everything, and your health fails, and you got to move back to the States and walk away from all of it, what do you do? That's why he's saying, hey, it's not about the poor right now. It's about me. It's about Jesus. When our hope is in Jesus and who he is, and we put our feet on the foundation of him that cannot be shaken, and we're anchored to him, it doesn't matter what comes. Everything in this world could be stripped away and taken away. It doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Of course we feel it. Of course it hurts. But at the end of the day, our feet 
are firm on him. Would you all stand with me? We're going to close and pray for some people. Remember that story at the beginning? I was playing soccer with those kids, and they start calling me by my dad's name, Henry, Henry. What had happened is they had looked at me, and I had the fragrance of my father. They could see him in me. They could see this is a man that's bringing hope and joy and life. And today, that's it. Let's be like that woman. Let's even be like the people in the rooms that came out just to see and come fill the room and set our eyes on the one who would die for us, to be with us. It's all about him. What's your fragrance? Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.